Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Romance in Color. I am Tati Richardson, your resident romance writer and reader, and um, we're going to have an amazing episode this week. We have on our episode, Bibliotherapist Emily Rumble. I know you're like, what is bibliotherapy? Well, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about its practical applications in your life and just how important books are as a therapeutic tool um, for people, particularly people of color. And then we have in our What is Book Talk reading segment, we have a fun and hilarious interview with a paranormal author, Tiara Cox. And we have a great time talking and she gives us her book talk recommendation and talks a little bit about her own writing and what she loves. So you all sit back, relax and enjoy this podcast this week. It's going to be great. Stay tuned. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Romance and Color. I am here with Emily Rumble. She is a licensed therapist, and we're going to talk about something a little different here at Romance and Color. We're going to talk about bibliotherapy and what that is. And I think this is a nice little connection between what we do here at Romance and Color, talking about books and romance and things of that nature, and also giving you a little bit of self-help and and things of that nature. So um, Emily, if you would, please introduce yourself and let the people know um, a little bit about you. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to be on Romance and Color. I'm really excited to speak with you today. So I'm a psychotherapist in the Bronx, New York, and I use uh, many different techniques, but among my most precious um, modalities is bibliotherapy and bibliotherapy falls under the umbrella of expressive arts therapies. So when Mm -hmm. we're talking about uh, the expressive arts or some people call it the creative arts, we're talking about music therapy, art therapy, dance therapy, Mm. um, art therapy, you know, et cetera. So bibliotherapy is really the use of literature to cure life's ailments. And sometimes that could be reading a book with your therapist, reading a book outside of session that you bring into therapy with your therapist. Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just the use of overall storytelling Mm -hmm. and that could be um it's fun because it's flexible right so for some people it's the use of um media it could be the use of audiobooks it could be the use of journaling and Mm -hmm. maybe putting your own story down on paper or getting creative and telling someone else's story um so Mm -hmm. there's just so much that you could do within the realm of bibliotherapy and it's it's my favorite thing to do therapeutically and clinically. So how did you get introduced to um, bibliotherapy? I know I saw a little blurb on your um, book talk and you were talking about how the mother of bibliotherapy was a black woman. I was okay with this, and, you know, and how, you know, a lot of oftentimes we get erased even in, you know, the spaces of, of clinical therapy and in and, 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 and psychotherapy. So how did this, how did you kind of come about using this as one of your modalities in therapy? And how does that connect with this woman who, who actually invented or, or pioneered um, bibliotherapy? Yeah, shout out to Sadie Peterson Delaney, the godmother of bibliotherapy, you know? So I guess we could start at the beginning of your question. I started out my career as a school social worker in the Bronx. Mm. So going into, you know, classrooms to pull students for counseling wasn't the vibe. As we know, there's a stigma around mental health. Um, in our community. And so I started pushing into classrooms instead and working with ELA teachers to bring novels to life into the Mm. class, 
A lot of our kids struggle with literacy, um, low comprehension. So it was fun to sort of get the students involved in debates around what was going on in the books or to get them role-playing and getting involved in some drama reenactment in the classroom. And so this was a fun way for me to engage the entire classroom, not just single, you know, particular counseling students out. Right. It was also a way for me to make a bigger impact social worker because you know especially in middle school your sense of belonging and your social clout is everything so (laughs) by working with the kids in in their classroom I was really able to get the lay of the land you know like what where are the social dynamics who are and what clicks and and how can I best be of service as the mental health professional in the school and then um long before I graduated it was actually my first internship um in grad school, when I was getting my master's in social work, I was placed at a day treatment facility for adults with schizophrenia. Mm. And, you know, schizophrenia is widely misunderstood, especially in our community. So when I got there, I noticed that the majority of the clients were black and brown, but that there wasn't a lot of um, programming and enrichment in the the program. It was sort of like, you come in, they'll, they'll provide you with meals, you have clinical groups and you have your medication and you check in with your psychiatrist and that's it so when I got there there was a Russian artist who was one of the clients there and they they would always buy him canvases and paint and I would catch him in the milieu that was kind of the area where we had our group meetings and where we ate together at he was always in there painting these beautiful um, portraits and I remember asking like what about the other clients like have we tapped into anything that they like to do or what their artistic Mm -hmm. interests are and I would always be like fresh thought so one day my supervisor said, well, Emily, why don't you think about something, you know, artistic, do a socialization group that will get the clients out of the milieu and, and doing something fun. Right, right. So I was like, I would love to do that. So I decided to do a poetry group because I was, at, well, that's like deeper into my history, but I uh, graduated from a creative writing high school Okay. Um, as a teen. So I was like, you know what, let me do some poetry with the clients. Uh-huh. And at first everybody laughed because they were like, Emily, these clients are schizophrenic. Most of them are psychotic. You know, it's, they're not going to want to do poetry. And I was like, I really disagree. Yeah. Poetry yeah. is an entry point for everyone. Uh-huh. You know, poetry is It can be easy to read or difficult to read based on your level of understanding and mastery. Like there's so much within poetry. And I I think that I could do a really good group with it. Let me tell you, they (laughs) gave me no money to run my group. I literally remember being a broke student. I got $20, went to Dollar Tree. I bought everybody a composition notebook. I had like eight members my first day. We read Walt Whitman. Um, Some people were actively psychotic in the room, talking to voices and (laughs) I got everybody to sit down, read the poetry, reflect, even if, you know, not everybody was present in the moment. But let me tell you, over the course of like two weeks, four weeks, people started coming to my group. I had the entire clientele, I think like 25 clients by the 10th week of my group. And the group became such a big deal that it got the attention of... I guess someone higher up within the Jewish board for children and family services. It's a really Mm -hmm. large network of mental health programs in New York city. Mm -hmm. And they reached out to me and, um, Vincent Kalenda, he became my supervisor and he was the first person to tell me, you know, that bibliotherapy is actually a modality of treatment that was used for veterans. Right. Um, started in World War One. There's a whole foundation. You can get trained in bibliotherapy. You can become credentials mm-hmm. as an expressive arts therapist. And because of him, I decided to go that route. Wow. 
So wow. I got my, I got my uh, master's, I got my licensure, um, did all my hours and all that. And I decided to become a bibliotherapist. And I told myself when I reach an independent level of licensure, my niche is going to be bibliotherapy because this is what I do. This is what I know. And it works, you know, and because it's the expressive arts, there's not a lot of evidence-based data to say like literature helps our mental health mm-hmm. in the books around mental health treatment per se. But right. we know that it works because we do it all the time, especially those of us that read to, you know, learn and to escape the realities of life. I was going to say, <laughs> reading helps us feel better. Like, obviously, reading has a mental connection there because we read to feel better. We read to escape. We read to just, you know, fantasize. We read okay. to just, just, just get out of the everyday. Yeah. 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 So shout out to Vincent Kalenda. If you ever hear this podcast, Vincent, it was because of you. But, you know, fast forward down, um, down the path to, to, to till today, mm-hmm. I'm doing research as I'm building, you know, my own practice. And I come across this article. I'm always reading the work of Black librarians and mm-hmm. digging into the archives because, again, we're never credited for what we've contributed and we're often erased from the books. Right. So I've, I've seen names of Black librarians before. I've never seen their names in the books on bibliotherapy. Right. So names like Arlene McCarty Hines, Rhea Rubin, these are white female librarians who are often credited with how literature became a part of like programmatic aspects in mental health treatment. Right. But then I stumbled upon one particular article at the 135th Street Library in Harlem. It was a letter, I believe, between Eleanor Roosevelt and someone else. And she credits Sadie Peterson Delaney as being the godmother of bibliotherapy. And she credits her. She was the first head librarian at Tuskegee. Right. And she created the first program within the Veterans Hospital to implement bibliotherapy in the mental health treatment. Mm. of african-american veterans there and her blueprint check this out and i know Mm. you won't be surprised but i'm still mad about it her work was used as the blueprint across all veterans administration hospitals for bibliotherapy Mm. 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 and And listen Mm. no credit and let me tell you i have been doing this for a long time every book on bibliotherapy i have it if it's out of print i found it her name is nowhere in these books wow so I am also humbled by that because as someone who trained as a bibliotherapist to see that like the godmother of bibliotherapy herself is black, what would that have done for me when I was back working with my, my clients at the day treatment clinic or what, right? right? Like I'm sitting here thinking like, this is something new. No, we've done this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and I'm still learning every day. I, I just spent sometime yesterday at the library at 135th street because i'm digging into the archives now and mm-hmm. i need i need to find these blueprints i need to we're we gonna write her back into the books so i got a lot of work to do i think it, i sound like you need to go take a trip to tuskegee i do <laughs> i do i actually <laughs> was just speaking, yeah, yeah i was just speaking to someone at the university of alabama yesterday he's um I think he's the head of the DSW, the doctors and social work program out there. Mm-hmm. I got two kids under the age of five. I can't get no PhD <laughs> right now, but you know, he's just a smart brother who, when, even when I told him this information, he was like, yeah, this is new to me too. So wow. there's a lot of folks that, you know, I, I trust can help me do this work and this research. And we're going to get her back into the books where she belongs. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So what, what kind of benefits have you seen? Like specifically what type of clientele do you work with? Yep. And what have been the benefits that you've seen from using bibliotherapy? Yeah, well, I work with everyone, um, children, mm-hmm. families, teenagers, adults, the elderly. Most of my career has been working with uh, children and families mm-hmm. because I started out in schools. Um, but currently, now that I, I have my own practice, you know, I'm grateful that I get to work with anyone and everyone, whoever I want to work with, which is a blessing in this field. Yeah. Um, we have to work so hard to get to that point where we can, you know, choose how we want to work and, and who we want to work with. But I think the benefits are many. I think that as Black and Brown people, you know, we, stories are what have kept us um, alive, Mm -hmm. right? Really understanding our history as a people, our Mm -hmm. resilience, our strength, our our joy as resistance as people. and I know, like, you know, there's a lot of people who would rather not, right? I, I hear that too. Like, I read to escape. I don't want to read no, you know, slave narratives or nothing about <laughs> the civil rights or Jim Crow era or, yeah. but I do think like that is what literature does is that it reminds us of the past and our history so that we can never forget. And as, as Black people, we don't have the luxury of forgetting. Absolutely. We're Absolutely. constantly at risk for erasure and... Yeah we have so much trauma that we have to process just to make it through um, our days, just to keep our mental health and sanity intact, just to keep Mm. our families afloat. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's really the power of literature to to keep us grounded in our knowing of who we are, our identity, and also like interpersonally to understand the systems of oppression that play upon us and, and how to navigate through these systems that we're not the only ones, we're not the first ones, right? Like I was just reading, um, oh, this is such a beautiful book. I knew you'd love this because you're a romance reader and writer. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to call you my wife by re- historian Rita Roberts. This oh. book is a collection of letters from husbands and wives and children to their parents who were separated um, when oh. the Whoa. civil war ended. And let me tell you, I have cried so much reading this book, but I've also laughed a lot. It's reminded me how as Black people, we always find levity and joy, even in our pain. Like, you know, you have a letter from one husband who moved up north during the Great Migration. He doesn't know where his wife is, but the last place he left her was in Alabama. So he's sending her a letter anyway. And Uh and in the letter, he's saying like, look, I don't know if you remarried or not, but if you did, that brother better be finer than me, right? (laughs) That brother better have a hairline, right? And it's funny because you're like, wow, like, you know, there's there's these moments of like, just poking fun at each other and and, Mm -hmm. and lightness and what was such a, and still is in many ways a heavy time, right? Like, he doesn't know if she's going to read this letter, but just in case she gets this letter, let me let you know, right? (laughs) And, and other times it's like, you know, I, I love you. I miss you. How are the children? Um, if you ever worried about me, just know that I'm fine. I just want you to be happy. If you need to remarry, you have my permission. Mm. Um, mm. And just like the love and the tenderness in the face of so much pain, like that's, mm-hmm. that's been our story. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and we still do it till this day. So I think like literature helps ground us in reality of what mm-hmm. was but also what is still true yeah um 
in our interpersonal relationships. Like for me, there's romance in all of Black literature, even if it's about the most painful parts of our history. And I love, I, I saw on your website that you loved to read Beverly Jenkins. Oh yeah, yeah. As a kid. And you know, yeah. the first thing I thought was like, how she captured the love stories of our people and mm -hmm. didn't even mention slavery. Like other than the setting of this is what was going on, like mm -hmm. Beverly Jenkins, she's like, that's besides the point. Let's talk about us and how we love right. each other and, and the romance that existed despite what they tried to steal and take away. Right, right, right. I so mean, now you, you yeah, she's like, I mean, I could talk about Beverly Jenkins all day, but I think about the ways in which she crafted, particularly Black men in mm. her stories and how they're just, they're rugged and tough, but they're also soft and loving. Yes. And then, like I think, like I said, I think she created the most perfect hero in Galen when I when I read Indigo, because I'm like, there's no, mm -hmm. I was like, if there, there's no man that can compare <laughs> compare to him and the love that he has for you know. I gotta read it. I haven't read Indigo. No, I'm not even gonna say nothing. I can't Hold up, let it. me I, see, see. Oh. I gotta write this down now. Oh. This uh, oh my god, it's so beautiful. Like they're gonna be parsing it, it's gonna make you just weep. But yeah, Indigo mm -hmm. by Beverly Jenkins is my absolute one of my absolute favorites. Um, you're giving me a book prescription now. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can go on and on about Beverly Jenkins. I got a whole whole list of Beverly Jenkins. I could I could give you after the podcast. <laughs> yes, but, I would love that. But what, so when you encounter, what happens like when you encounter clients or even, I know you say you work with families and stuff like that, who are resistant to this type of modality. They're like, well, I don't read or this yeah. can't work. You know, how do you, how do you kind of navigate that and say, hey, I, these, this is the evidence that this will work. Or how do you get somebody who's not a reader to want to read a book, yeah. you know? Yeah. that has got to be difficult it is difficult and you know I think resistance is a part of what we're trained to deal with as therapists so we always mm -hmm. work with where the client is at I would never push a client beyond what they're comfortable doing or reading or mm -hmm. um, engaging in with me so mm -hmm. I think the first thing is really just like meeting the client where they're at and working with the resistance so if you don't want to read that's cool then let's talk about your story right because stories <laughs> make up all of our lives are stories that's right. how we make meaning out of life. Right. So I'm also a narrative therapist and I encourage my clients to look at the multiple narratives of their lives, the inherited stories that they've internalized that maybe aren't theirs, right? We have a lot of inherited stories and we hold a lot of shame around them. And so really getting clients to look at storytelling from a broader lens. It, it doesn't always have to be that we're reading a book, but let's talk about stories. Mm -hmm. And what stories make up your life and what stories are no longer true about you or maybe stories mm -hmm. that you've internalized that weren't um, ever yours to hold. Let's reauthor that story, mm -hmm. right? Let's externalize um, some of this stuff and, and really deconstruct the meaning that we're making out of these stories. And mm -hmm. I find that when I take that approach, usually people are curious, like, huh, I never thought of it that way before. Um, but in terms of how I would engage a client with the use of literature who's maybe like reading a verse. I use a lot of children's books actually in my work okay. with adults. And wow. when I'm counseling families, especially, like usually if you're coming to therapy, you have like <clears throat> a particular problem you wanna solve. Mm -hmm. And so like, for example, the other day um, 
I'm working with a teenager. Her parents are currently going through a divorce and uh-huh. we're, we're reading a book about it. Mom and dad aren't necessarily a part of it because she's my client. It's not like a family therapy case. It was a teen case that was referred to me. And then, you know, as a therapist, you kind of figure out what the real issue is. Like the issue right. is not that the teen is, you know, acting up. The issue is the family system is falling apart and she's mm-hmm. responding to what's going on. Mm-hmm. So we're reading a book and, um, And just naturally throughout the course of my work with this teen, mom all of a sudden catches wind that she's reading a book with me. And now mom's curious. Oh, what book are you reading? Let let me see. And so mom brought it up during my conversation with her last week. And she was like, you know, I looked at the book that you're reading with her. And and now she's got a particular set of questions and opinions about what she saw in the book. Mm -hmm. And now we have some language, shared language that we can use together in our family therapy. Because now I got mom to buy in like, oh, this book actually does a really good job of explaining what divorce is and why divorces happen. And I'm noticing that with this, this new information, this new lens, my daughter is internalizing it less. Like this has nothing to do with her. This is about me and dad no longer deciding to be together. Mm. Um, Mm. so in a way like mom is reading the book really at least she's engaging with me around the text and now her and her daughter when we're outside of the therapy room have mutual language where they can discuss and maybe they don't love everything that's in the book or they don't agree with everything that's in the book either but still now they have a reference point and an entry point to have a real vulnerable conversation that's Mm -hmm. not gonna just result in like a screaming match because we're talking and that's what I love about incorporating the use of books into this work is that it's a less threatening way to teach emotional literacy Mm -hmm. right so we're not just focusing on all of the ways that mom messed up when she told her daughter that she's getting this divorce and what she didn't (laughs) do that she should have done and right Right. now we're talking oh look the book says this approach helps let's Mm -hmm. think about this a little bit has that been true in your family's experience how did you guys finally share um that this divorce is happening and we have something to compare it to right and if we're talking about the book it's less of a spotlight and a magnifying glass on you Right, right, right. And I right. think especially for Black folks, that, that actually is a great way to build rapport because mm. it's less threatening and I'm not calling you out and I'm not saying, well, you, you know, did or you didn't do. Um, we're just, we have a particular set of information and we can talk about, do we agree, do we not? Um, and I love the use of fiction too, because I think, it's almost like holding up a mirror to mm-hmm. people who are sort of walking around life disassociated. <laughs> and right. so we can really project our thoughts, feelings, and fears onto fictional characters. We project every day on each other. But when we do it in books, there's no real life consequence. I can read a book and, and absolutely detest a fictional character. And I can see then my rage and my jealousy and my hatred <laughs> and my right. And yeah. I, can, I can experience my full range of emotions without any real life consequence. I don't have to go to work tomorrow and see her. Right. She's in the book. <laughs> and when I'm sick and tired of her, I can put the book down and come back right. to it. Right, right. I was, I was going to ask you that. I was like, what types of books do you read? So you recommend all types of books, like not just all types of books. books, fiction books as well. So what do you, like, like you said, fiction kind of holds that mirror up to us. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of times, a lot of fiction books have been getting a lot of flack from families and resistance from families and being banned and stuff like that. 
Yeah. What happens when you come across like a client or something it's like, I don't think this book is appropriate or yeah. I don't think this book is, you know, this, this book doesn't have our quote value system, whatever, you yep. know, whatever coded language people use to kind of discriminate against books, you know, yep, yep. what do you do when you, res- when you find clients that have that kind of issue? But I know you deal a lot with black and brown folks. Yeah, I'm in the Bronx. I, I only deal with I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm just saying, I, I mean, you may not encounter a lot of folks who are like, we're, we're staunchly conservative and, you know, but some people, you know, yeah. black As and brown folks are worker, like, I yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know, some folks are, le- are still more conservative leaning, yes. um, even though their lived experience may not be quote unquote conservative. How do you like navigate that space of people like, I don't know, that feel like this book might be inappropriate or, or something? Yeah, I've dealt with that a lot. I've mm. dealt with that a lot. And I think, um, so one thing that I always tell my clients, we don't have to finish a book. We don't mm. have to read the whole way through and we don't have to finish it. And sometimes I'll just assign a poem a short story, or even an excerpt. I don't always read full books um, with clients as well. So I think that that's important to, to say. If someone is feeling particularly triggered or doesn't want to continue reading because they feel like it doesn't align with their values, then I think that's great because mm-hmm. I'm getting a particular set of information about that client. Mm-hmm. Um, every time that there is a level of resistance or there's an explicit emotion that comes to the surface. That's what I want to happen. Right. Because Mm. if we're reading something and it holds up a mirror to you that really elicits an emotional response that's powerful enough for you to want to stop reading or for you to feel like um, this isn't working, then Mm. that's exactly what I need to happen so that we could do some good work. Mm. Mm. And Mm. if, and if what really comes to the surface is that you're just a bigot or a racist or right, then <laughs> and I have a particular set of information to be like, well, then I'm not the best therapist for you. Right. Most of the right. time there's like clinical usefulness and in information like that. Mm-hmm. Because for me as a bibliotherapist, the goal is not for us to like read books together. You can do that at book club. I'm right. a therapist before I'm anything else. And so right. if, if something is coming up to the surface, that's a good thing because that's the point. We want to bring these subconscious, pre-conscious thoughts, feelings, fears, and desires to the surface so that we could really get to the root of the issue. And that's what I love about literature is that like we can't read something in bibliotherapy that's not going to elicit an emotional response because then it's not going to be therapeutic so the goal is always for you to be a little get your feathers ruffled Mm -hmm. to have a a strong feeling that's always what I'm looking for and once once I hit that nerve now we're doing (laughs) good work yeah yeah I'm sure I'm like okay now we've tapped really tapped into something like now you can really really open up and stop being so closed off yeah, because that's the issue counseling readers is that yeah. we're always up here. We're always in our heads. It's always cognitive. And then I find that like a lot of clients feel like, oh, you know, one session was good. I got what I came for. And it's like, no, like you can't have bibliotherapy without the therapist. Right. Yes, there's right. bibliotherapy as like a coping skill that you probably already use in your life. But my challenge as a therapist is always to get my client out of their head and into their heart, out of their yeah. head and into your spirit. I've yeah. worked and a lot of readers like, you know, I love us to death, but some of us are also like, we really struggle interpersonally and socially, yeah. some of us. Yeah. And so 
what is the usefulness of you coming to me for bibliotherapy if you can't even look me in my eye and have a conversation because if you're relating to me like that how are you relating to other people in your life if you're you can love books all you want but if the reality in your lived experience is that you're isolated and lonely and you're really miserable and depressed all the time Mm. then we're not doing good therapy Mm. so it's not really about the book it's about the relationship and how we're using the book as a tool to facilitate healing under understanding and mm. understanding relational understanding mm, mm, mm. yeah yeah that's deep yeah so okay so this we deal with romance here on the podcast and I have a you know people think that romances are unrealistic romance books don't have any value sometimes um do you see or any value in romance books used as, a, as tools in bibliotherapy and if so, have you ever recommended reading certain romance books um, oh, yeah. to some of your clients? And I oh, want to know yeah. what kind, what, what, what books particularly. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, I absolutely think romance books are therapeutic because first of all, have you ever tried to get Black people to talk about sex? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes right? girl, a struggle, <laughs> a struggle, yes. Mm-hmm. And forget about talking about sex with a therapist, with a mental health professional. Yeah. And forget about Black folk that go to church or that oh. were raised in the church. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a struggle. It's a struggle. So I think like, and really what we're talking about is being embodied, mm-hmm. living in a way that's embodied, um, getting people to not only be in their bodies, but to talk about how they experience pleasure. Mm-hmm. That alone has taken me like up to five plus years with some clients. Wow. And I think as Black people, we're so used to our bodies being used literally and metaphorically for labor, physical, Mm -hmm. emotional, psychological, and otherwise that Mm -hmm. it can take me as a therapist a long time just to get somebody comfortable sitting in a room with me and really being in their body. Wow. And so using a somatic approach has been a big shift for me, especially when we talk about like healing from racial trauma, just mm-hmm. getting people to pay attention to the signs and the cues that your body gives you, even while you're reading. And that's another thing I love about bibliotherapy is because not only are we, is it a less threatening entry point into some of these more vulnerable conversations, but when we're reading naturally, our nervous system is relaxed Mm. where we feel safer in our bodies when we're reading because we're sort of living someone else's life for a little while we get to escape the realities of what we're going through and and Mm -hmm. jump into someone else's story and so naturally the body sort of finds this place of ease Mm. when you're reading and so I find like for people who really struggle being in their bodies getting them to pay attention to the cues their body gives them while they're reading is a great starting point mm-hmm. to help them to become more embodied. And what romance does is, especially when it's smutty, right? It's like, ooh, <laughs> now it's like, hold up. Like, I gotta, let me put this book down real quick and spend some time, you know, but like, like all of these desires and the lust and just like the sensuality and the sexuality. Yeah. There's not just new language. There's a new way that you're experiencing being in your bodies. And I find, especially for like, you know, the elders, they're like, oh no, 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 no. I'm not, that's, I'm not reading that. You know what I'm saying? Like it's too much. 
Um, and it's so funny. I just read a book, uh, a DL White book. Mm -hmm. DL's an indie author. I love her work. And, you know, church folk can handle DL because she writes sexy scenes. But for the most part, I think her father is also a pastor. I always meant yeah. to ask her if that informs the way she writes. I think, I think, I know DL. I think she, yeah. her father is a pastor. Yes. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's sexy, but it's like, to the level of 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 sexual distress that an elder can tolerate, you know, without right. being too too nasty, right? Um, but I think that that's the beautiful thing about um, black romance in particular, because all of those little quirks too that make it hard for us or awkward for us um, to be in our bodies. Black romance writers are like, we done with that. We gonna put it all out there, baby, right. out, and and I and it's accessible. Um, and it's in our voice, in our truth, um, just like Beverly Jenkins wrote it. So yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I love reading romance books and bibliotherapy. I find that people, black people have a low threshold <laughs> for tolerance <laughs> of, of some of the sexier, um, books, but you know, there's yeah. this great, uh, generation of young people now coming up, especially on BookTok and Bookstagram. They're like, no, we love reading smut and what? Yeah. And I love that yeah. because let's yeah. be honest, the book community could be really like, you know, bougie and oh, if you read yeah. smut, you're not intelligent. And that's such yeah. a harmful um stereotype and well, that conversation was just going on, you know, day before yesterday or whatever, somebody coming on talking about, well, if you're not reading the classics, then you oh know, what gosh. are you reading or whatever? We're like, bro, we, we don't want to read the classics. Okay. We're tired of the classes. We're tired of reading these dead white people, you know? Okay. We want to read things that embody our own lived experiences, whether that be something smutty or yep. something, well, whatever it is, we want to see people who are like us in realistic ways, you yep. know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm a big, I'm big on Kennedy Ryan. She's my favorite mm -hmm. black romance writer. And, mm -hmm. you know, just like you said earlier, writing black men who are soft, who are vulnerable, mm -hmm. who are sexy, mm -hmm. who are not only attuned to the needs of their partners, but attuned to their own needs. Yes. Right. Because yes. everything else we see on the media and TV, it's like everything is based on power and domination and sex in rape culture. And, and it's mm -hmm. like, okay. Even the language we use around sex sometimes like like there there are times when I've stopped reading a book where I'm just like okay the language you're using around sex is too violent for me yep. and I feel like we sometimes and and this has nothing to do with with the genre of literature I'm reading it could be urban fiction it could be you know contemporary um fiction whatever but even still sometimes the language you use around sex is not where sex and intimacy is a shared experience right it's it's somebody's giving up something yep. somebody's taking something yep. somebody's receiving something um but nobody's really sharing anything yeah you know and, what I mean? and and i'm glad you said that because i think and this is something i'm working on as a bibliotherapist because i wasn't aware until i started my own private practice just mm -hmm. how big the kink community the black kink community is mm -hmm. in new york city mm -hmm. there is a booming thriving very large black kink community in new york city and when i started because mm -hmm. I, I haven't always been on social media it's only been a year since i created literary social media presence so i've been getting mm -hmm. a lot more referrals um from black people in the kink community who do want to read those kinds of stories and mm -hmm. honestly i felt like like it was a little bit out of my bandwidth at first because it's very uncomfortable for me oh because okay. I had to do my own you know like um 
work with that your own healing journey about that absolutely yeah (laughs) Yeah, because um I there were certain biases that I had as someone growing up in the church like to me you know power domination control somebody being used and this experience not being shared like that felt very violent to me and it wasn't until I started counseling people who are in who have like very particular kinks Mm. or it's like no I like being you know treated this way I like being you know bound I like being and Mm. I'm like oh okay well because like for me as a therapist it's always like that threshold between what's kink and then what's a reactivation of our trauma has Mm. always been a fine line yeah and so and also acknowledging like that there that's not true for everybody like some people just have kinks yeah it's not not harmful to them in that way and then there are people who have sexual trauma whose kinks may or may not be related to their sexual trauma and these are not details that you'll know about someone right away you have to get to know someone over time as a therapist to really like make out that difference Mm -hmm. um and because some of my bibliotherapy clients come to me for like a one-to-one session, a one-time session, that's mm-hmm. background and history that I, I can't assess in a reading intake. Because uh-huh. usually that's what I do. I'll have like a one-to-one 50-minute bibliotherapy session. I'll send you an intake to fill out for me. We'll talk about your preferences as a reader, anything you don't read. Um, I'll curate a bibliotherapy deck for you to facilitate our session. And then I'll give you a book prescription with three tailored book recommendations at the mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. So some things have come up where I'm taken aback, like, whoa, okay, wait. First of all, this sounds like it's something deeper than just right. the book are you in therapy? So sometimes right. those conversations ends up um, with a, th- a therapy referral. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm learning a lot about the kink community and about, um, you know, fetishes. And I'm being, clinically, I feel like this is my, this next leg of my journey is like being yeah. stretched in this way. Cause yeah. I, I had no idea. I look, my grandmother <laughs> raised me. I was raised in the church, Pentecostal. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm a married woman with two kids. Of course, I, I love sex just like anybody else. Of but course, yeah. Think and like certain fantasies and things, especially around like domination. This is all new to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Some, sometimes I go on the girlies book talks and I'm looking at, okay, you know, I know that there's certain readers who also have kinks and they'll share books. So I'm sitting there with my pen, like, okay, let me write that one down. And like, yeah. I, I have to uh, build my repertoire up. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And you say you've been on like book talk and having like a little social media presence for like a year. How and you and you just mentioned like going on there and getting book recommendations. How beneficial and integral to your own practice has like the book talk or TikTok community or even bookstagram community, um, which is growing and getting more and more influential every day. How has that been like really, really important to your own? practices of bibliotherapy it's been really important for me because part of why and how I started my private practice was because I had my daughter during the pandemic and my son was diagnosed as autistic during the pandemic Mm. so I wasn't able to go back to work in schools after um, my maternity leave and so Mm. I think like a lot of moms who had babies during the pandemic our careers had to adjust and so for me, it was like, okay, if I'm going to be home with my kids and figuring out what my son needs for his therapies and my daughter's getting older now, and I don't, mm-hmm. try, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person I just don't leave my kids with just anybody. Right. And my mm-hmm. son is nonverbal. So I'm very protective over him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's like all right so now it's time and my own therapist was the one to tell me she's like Emily this is just spirit telling you it's time for you to have your own practice I've been telling you this for years but this is it's in the stars now so I'm I'm isolated for the most part I work from home with both Mm -hmm. of my kids Mm -hmm. I don't have community around me um my our family is in South Carolina and Atlanta Mm -hmm. and um you know, we have our friends in the Bronx, but everybody is sort of like, I would say, other than a couple of friends we have in Brooklyn who have kids, our friends don't have kids. And so me and my husband are in this like bubble, it feels like a lot of the time and I'm building my business on the go. Um, yeah. and as we know, with black women entrepreneurs, a lot of us start businesses, but they don't thrive because of a lot of different structural challenges, right? Yeah. And just institutionalized racism and who gets the small business loans and who doesn't. So there's just a lot of challenges. So being a part of the book community on social media has allowed me to connect with like-minded therapists, um, mm-hmm. other black readers. You know, I'm really excited to be on a panel with Black Readers Con, Con next Sunday, where we're going to be talking about bibliotherapy. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have been able to make these connections being stuck at home with my kids running a business so I feel like I'm very grateful for that even with Mm -hmm. you right like I connected with you on black um, book talk like just meeting so many dope people reading new books like connecting Mm -hmm. with indie with black indie authors that's been my favorite part all of the black indie authors that I have connected with and like y'all y'all are so talented like y'all are just (laughs) not we know right like you don't get the the, the money behind your books to market them appropriately oh. and to really <laughs> the time that you deserve. So yeah. it, it's, it's really expanded my practice a lot, even with DL. Like I use her work with a lot of the elders that I counsel. I would have never met DL. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I'm saying? And, mm-hmm. and so just even like professional collaborations um, with other holistic practitioners. There's a lot of really great holistic um, and intuitive healers mm-hmm. on these in these spaces that I've connected with and just banding together with other folks who want to decolonize therapy just like I do and yes. to affirm and validate the ways that we've always um, used these practices in our communities. They're just not reflected in the literature. Right. And if they are reflected right. in the literature, we're certainly not credited um, mm-hmm. for them. So, yeah, there's just so many ways that social media has allowed me to build my community, to improve my own mental health, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's really hard to be yeah. um, a mom with two kids, you know, at yeah. home with no break. I don't have yeah. um, <laughs> my village here. So I feel like... Yeah. And, and we know there's always drama in these spaces too. So let's not pretend like it's all, you know, featuring, yes, but, but the good, the good outweighs the bad. And I'm yeah. grateful for that. That's awesome. That's so awesome. And you mentioned like decolonizing. That, that's the one word that kind of came to the forefront of my head too, because what you're doing with your work in bibliotherapy is really to like decolonize folks' idea of what therapy is yeah. and, and, and that, you know, therapy is more than just, you know, sitting here talking to somebody X, Y, and Z. It's really like digging into who you are and that books can also play a a major role in that and that the books you recommend aren't the, you know, same old, same old books that that people are going to come across all the time. So you're expecting their own um, wealth of literary knowledge and their own kind of, you know, you know tbrs to, to use for lack of a better word um to you know tbrs that they'll use now and maybe even in the future like oh i don't feel you know i'm feeling x y and z let me go back to this book that i read here there and you know 
that um, Emily recommended for me. And, and this, I really see that this has been beneficial for me and stuff like that. That's just amazing to me. I just, I'm just so fascinated by how this works and stuff and how I wish that I had that. And, and you know, okay, I wish I had that when I was going through my own therapies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked about this openly, you know, going through things about body dysmorphia, going through things with postpartum depression, yeah. um, stuff like that. And how I wish that I had these types of the therapists that I had like the therapists I had were black but they didn't work in these type of modalities you know yeah with bibliotherapy because if they did I would have been way more open and receptive I think to um what they were presenting me not saying they didn't do a great job because they did because I do still use the tools that they gave me but if they had tapped into me being a reader and if I had opened up and said I was a reader and I was even interested in becoming a writer maybe they would have been able to you know tap into that with bibliotherapy so I just want to I just want to say thanks because I I mean you've opened my mind to something that Mm -hmm. I wish I would have had you know those years ago when I was actively um I'm not in therapy anymore really but but when I was actively in therapy so this is just amazing and I hope somebody like takes you know heed to this and actually seeks out therapists that kind of practice um, these things what are some resources that people can find they say I want a therapist who does or works in bibliotherapy how can they find someone who who actively you know uses this modality yeah. for their therapeutic services if they're not in New York or, or, where, or they're not in the Bronx they can't get to you in the Bronx you know yeah absolutely well there's a few websites that you can go on that have directories of books mm-hmm. to read and I'll actually I can email them to you after this call if you want to awesome. um, put it on um or I'll link it, it to podcast. this podcast yes, but I they, will. Yeah, there's some really great um, libraries online. So like, let's say, especially for children, like let's say a child is really anxious, you just type in anxiety and they'll give you like a list of children's books to read. The novel Cure, and this is all coming with a caveat because again, these things are, you know, predominantly white organizations, books, et cetera. But we're going to change that because again, I'm working on my own book. So we're going to yes. get, we're going to galvanize all the black bibliotherapists and we're going yes. to make it happen for our communities. But right now the novel Cure written by Ella Berthoud, she is a British bibliotherapist mm-hmm. um, who worked with Susan Elderkin, who is another uh, British bibliotherapist. And they wrote this book sort of like a book prescription manual so if you're feeling depressed here are some novels you could read if you're feeling and they have everything from like depression to knee pain book prescriptions <laughs> that you could read but again wow. you know, okay. there's, there's some diverse books in there but not as diverse as I feel it should be right um so you know, I, I offer it with that caveat also um you know book me I work with everyone uh in the United States I wouldn't book it as a mental health session because I'm only licensed in the state of New York but when I do my bibliotherapy sessions it's for um U.S. uh people who live in the U.S. only but it's Uh virtual it's completely Uh virtual and you can book me at the link in my bio on Instagram or TikTok I also have a contact me box on my website literaryNYC.com if people want specific resources like someone reached out to me yesterday she lives in Canada so she couldn't book me for bibliotherapy Um, but she asked me if I had any resources and I didn't but I reached out to a friend who sent me a couple websites that I was able to send to her so reach out connect with me I'll link you to people that I that I know in the field unfortunately I don't know um 
that therapists are actively calling themselves bibliotherapists because I think this is it's like a reemergence happening around the language and I noticed right. as I started to create my social media presence a lot of therapists who are bookstagrammers and book talkers started sharing that they're also therapists and their communities didn't know that um so I think there's more people now like coming out and saying, hey, I'm a licensed therapist, um, not just a bookstagrammer, not just a book talker. So right. I would reach out to those people if they're currently accepting mm-hmm. clients, because I think like before we are bibliotherapists, we're therapists. So right. always keeping in mind that like if someone is trained as a therapist, they can incorporate the use of literature along their comfort lines. For me, I have my BA in English language and literature with a focus on African and Caribbean lit. So mm. this is like, and I went to a creative um, arts high school. So this is mm-hmm. also like years of my development um, and experience before developing my expertise as a therapist. But any therapist can incorporate the use of literature in their work with a client. And I would encourage anyone who's a reader, if you read something and it deeply, deeply impacts you or it deeply touches you or it offers you a new perspective, bring it to your therapy. Yeah. Let your therapist know like, hey, I heard about this new thing called bibliotherapy and I read this the other day and it, it made me cry. And maybe you don't know why it made you cry, but you just mm-hmm. felt deeply touched. Therapists are trained to help you look at what's coming up for you and why and helping you make deeper connections. So anyone who has expertise as a therapist can use this technique. Maybe they already are using it and they just don't call it bibliotherapy. Right, right. They they need to be put on Um, (laughs) that, you know, that there are therapists out there that are encouraging the use of literature in in session. Um, So I think that those are like some main things. Yeah, which share in terms of resources. So when Emily is not doing her active therapy sessions and working with clients, what is on her TBR list? What are you reading? What do you like to read? And what is the last romance book that you read? Oh man! So when I'm not um, <laughs> working, I'm always reading. That's why it's so hard for me. Like people are like, oh, you know, how many books do you read a week? I, I'm just always reading. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't count. I don't, I'm not someone who keeps like a reading journal or anything like that. Right now I'm reading Patriarchy Blues mm-hmm. by Frederick Joseph, uh, Reflections on Black Manhood. Beautiful, yes. beautiful book. I'm yes. really enjoying it. Um, the last romance book I read, oh, M- Morgan Breaks a Vow by ml sexton yes listen not enough people are talking about this book for me and again it's because she's a black indie author so i'm actually gonna do it ig live with her i recently emailed her i said moniqua we need to talk about morgan breaks about will you do ig live with me and she said yes so i'm really Uh excited um because morgan breaks about is not only a sapphic a black sapphic read but it's really um a black family read like the romance in it there was so many levels of romance not just between the main characters but between Morgan and her father who immediately accepted her the moment she came out Mm -hmm. Um, he had to stand in the gap for her her mother in this book is just extremely hateful and hostile you know there's a lot of toxicity with her mother but the way that her father covers her and protects her Mm. and some of the decisions that he makes around like just interceding on her behalf regardless of what it meant between Mm. him and his wife like there's so many um, powerful therapeutic themes and Morgan breaks a vow that I want to talk with Monique about so um, Mm. I'll be going live with her on Saturday November 5th 
at 10 a.m. Awesome. Eastern Standard Time. So I hope that y'all could join us and the build up, baby, because the build up is <laughs> on March 28th. Oh, okay, listen, first of all, I'm proud of y'all coming on my podcast and then talking about my own book. This okay. is not the point. <laughs> listen, when I saw the art for this book, you recently, I don't know if this was the art for the audio book or you, you shared something. It was actually someone created um, for it you. Was, yeah, it was actually art. It's not. It's not the cover because the cover art is still t is pending. Okay, that's a that's a something we can talk about offline. But it's it's pending. But this is actually art that I had a young lady who is out of St. Lucia. Um, commit. I had a commission to go out in special. It'll go out in special book boxes that I'm going to send out. I cannot. I, well, you know, I'm getting my book box, baby, <laughs> and I cannot wait to read Porter and Ari's story. My favorite yeah. trope is friends to lovers because that's how me and my husband. Um, yeah. man, and I, I just love a friends to lover story. Now I don't know if they would, if you would consider them friends because I know they were their coworkers. Who they're coworkers, they're friends, and there's even a little. T- I think there's a little, a little touch of insta love, particularly on Porter's part. Because he, he saw to- them curves, and he was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, so you have to, you have to, you have to read the book. Listen, I cannot wait for your release. Congratulations! <laughs> it's also so a big deal for your book to be on audio, like. Yeah, like like I said, we were telling people like that doesn't always happen with a debut author. You don't always get an audio deal um, yeah. sometimes. So yeah, and it's with recorded books who is kind of, you know, Tantra Audio and all these people. You probably heard them when you listen to audio books. So yeah. they're kind of the, the the main people who do audio books. So. And I, I got so emotional just like with gratitude for how spirit is shining down on you in this debut because you shared that you were a harlequin reader your whole life and for your book to be published by them like i when i saw that video i was like look at god God." listen don't make this no therapy session emily because i'll be (laughs) up here crying this is not the point of the podcast (laughs) i'll be sitting up here crying like i'm I'm telling you but how much like what a full circle moment yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it really is. Yep. I'm gonna yep. cry. Let me drink some okay, wine. Let's, 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 girls, don't get me started now. I just, look, don't get me started. So this will be about you. <laughs> Not me. No, you. but you, I want to thank you too for your generosity, like sharing oh, the behind the scenes of your process. Cause I've been asked a lot of times, oh, are you going to write a book on bibliotherapy or are you going to, you know, go back and for your PhD and put our black bibliotherapists back in the literature on bibliotherapy. Mm-hmm. And I, I have been going back and forth for some time, but when I see other black women, especially who are wives and mothers and all the multiple hats that you wear, like stepping mm-hmm. out and doing it, I know I can do it too. So thank oh, yeah. you for being a mirror for me. And oh. I'm just so excited. I'm so excited for your release. So make oh, sure, you, you know, when, when the pre-orders come in for the book box, I want mine. I already put my, <laughs> my pre-order in for the book, but I'm going to need that yeah, book box. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. But um, yeah, I, I, I didn't know that, you know, my journey was touching people but I guess you never know you just never know but to to your thing about you know wanting to write a book and stuff like that just do it and you don't and like this whole idea of and like I was a PhD student at one point too I was a PhD in African-American lit with a focus on speculative literature so um but I left I left academia because I was like I wasn't being supported in a time Mm -hmm. when I really really needed the support um I had lost my mom I had had a premature mm. baby 
all this stuff happened. And then the only thing, or I had two black women who were on my committee who were very understanding. The third person was not black and she was just kind of like, okay, so whatever, like when, when are you going to be done? So mm-hmm. I didn't have to, I, I just felt shaken by that. And then my department wouldn't allow me to like, I wanted to change majors because I wanted to get out of that and go into the creative writing field. Cause I said, oh, if I go into creative writing, I'll be done. Like I would be done. I'd be more, much more passionate about it. They didn't have an easy process for me to switch my major oh, while yeah. I was in the program. So I was like, you know what? I'm just done. I'm yeah. just but I will say this. Don't let, don't let this idea of, oh, I got to have a PhD to be impactful. Like, yeah. Folk, you know be the focus on what you want to do with bibliotherapy because um and this is a this is kind of an off subject topic but I had a professor in college um professor morgan uh gwendolyn morgan she just passed away um and um she was so instrumental in the lives of so many people um i went to clark atlanta university so many people at clark atlanta university but she never had a phd she only had a master's but she wrote a lot she wrote a lot she mentored so many students um on their own journeys their masters and even phd journeys and stuff like that so don't think that you just have to have a phd to be impactful in somebody's life particularly with what you're doing because Mm -hmm. the the glass ceiling of academia is always there and that ivory tower is always there and i know we want to sit there sometimes but sometimes we also need to kind of um create our own space and create our own lane in academia Mm. um and I still I still work I work in higher ed um but I don't I'm not on the academic side I'm more of a a academic professional side right yeah so you don't don't necessarily necessarily feel like you got to have this PhD to to do everything because you don't and you don't you don't I appreciate I appreciate you saying that and I received Mm -hmm. that thank you Mm -hmm. you don't you don't but girl, thank you so much. I'm, I'm, we're going to go on and on here. We sure could. <laughs> we're going to go on and on here crying. It's not bubbles. It's coming out our nose. But thank you so much for coming to the podcast, Emily. It's been so educational. I hope that whoever's listening gets something some, from this, receives something from this, seeks out a therapist or a licensed clinical yes. social worker who works with um, bibliotherapy. And it also it just goes to the healing testament of what books can do for people um, and what books can, can bring to light for people. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and tell people where they can find you on social media and what you're working on next. Yeah. Y'all can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at literacy underscore NYC. You can also check out my website, www.literacynyc.com. And next I'm working on a book, y'all. We're going to, we're going to write our black, librarians who contributed to the field of bibliotherapy back into the literature so that's the goal yes yes absolutely loving on my babies my husband and staying black (laughs) (laughs) and proud staying black and proud and reading that's what yes baby that's it Yes, yes so thank you so much Up next in our What is Book Talk reading segment, we have a fun and hilarious interview with xenomorph-loving paranormal author, Tierra Cox. Hey, everyone.
everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. And we're on our What is Book Talk reading segment. And I am here with author, reader, and book talker, uh, Tierra Cox. Tierra, how you doing, girl? I'm good. Glad to be here. <laughs> great, great. So tell us a little bit about yourself. And I'm going to ask the question I ask everybody mm-hmm. uh, when they first come on. What is, made you fall in love with romance first? Do you remember like the first romance book you ever read? Oh, man. So first, first give us a little intro after before you do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, intro. Hello, my name is Tierra Cox. Um, I'm 35 years old. I unfortunately live in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I unfortunately live in Georgia, so I know how that feels. Now, see, I, I was trying to move there next year, so I'm like, well, don't come no, don't come here. <laughs> <laughs> we fool. <laughs> we fool. <laughs> well, I mean, um, I have a regular day job, and then by night, I'm on the computer, click, 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 clack it away. Um, I like B rated sci fi movies. <laughs> And I have probably an unhealthy obsession with xenomorphs. And other than that, I'm just a regular everyday person. <laughs> what's, a, what's a xenomorph for those that don't know what that is? Uh, if you have ever seen the Aliens movie with mm-hmm. Ripley and Sigourney Weaver, mm-hmm. those, those alien creatures, they're called xenomorphs. I have mm-hmm. like, a, like so many figures, probably like over 20. <laughs> oh, wow, wow. Okay. I didn't know that was that was a thing that people were into, but I'm I'm learning yeah. something something new about different fandoms every day, every day <laughs> on this podcast. So when did you fall in love with romance and, and romance novels specifically? Oh man. Um I'ma say that because I'm a cancer. <laughs> I love, love, (laughs) like, being in it, it, like, seeing other people, like, just sitting there, like, going through all the emotions, but the first romance book I ever read, I think I was, like, 12 years old, and in my, I was in my mother's nightstand, I wasn't supposed to be, and she had one of those Highland romance novels, dude Mm -hmm. with his shirt off and the long flowing hair, and I was like, what is this book? I just flipped it open to a page, started reading, and I was like, hold on, this seems interesting. (laughs) Went back to the beginning. I had no business reading that book, but I was hooked (laughs) from that moment forward. Awesome. And so how long have you been like on book talk and engaging it with like book bookish type content on book talk? Um, man, I can't remember like, when it was I originally got on BookTok, uh, on TikTok in general, but it wasn't too long after that that I found BookTok. And then I kind of just realized that, okay, wait a second, I'm an author. Like, I've been writing for almost five years now. And so mm-hmm. I was just like, let me like start promoting content and then like putting my own content um, onto, onto here as well because. I didn't really see like a jump in my following or even people that like were really like reading my novels mm-hmm. until book talk. So I definitely wow. like once you put yourself out there enough and so and especially like let like your mailing list know and then like anybody else that 
you know, even remotely reads the content that you put out, like, hey, I have a TikTok and I make content for it, they will immediately jump to your page. And it's a good way to like get people in. Right, 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 right. Awesome. Awesome. So tell us what about about what you write and, and you know, what you kind of your kind of romance lane is. I know you say you like science fiction. So so I know, I know a lot of your work is kind of informed by that. So tell us what you write and, and, and you know, what your latest um, release is about. Okay, well, I write paranormal and fantasy romance. Um, I wish I wrote sci-fi, but I haven't really like gotten into it yet. Mm-hmm. But um, my books are basically about Black women and fantastical situations mm-hmm. falling in love with mythological or fantasy people, entities, and creatures being loved the way that they should be loved. <laughs> so it's like if Sanaa Lathan had fallen in love with the Predator or whatever. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> because that was in my mind the whole time I was watching that movie. I was like, he want her. <laughs> right, 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 right. He was too, he was too damn bad obsessed with getting her. I was like, he want her real bad. Anyway. <laughs> So, so tell us, um, what are since this is what book talk is reading? Yeah, what are some of the your top, say, three to five books that you're like, y'all have got to read this if if you really want to like know what's happening in these book talk streets? Oh, these are not like the hot books on my list on my TBR. Okay, um, definitely, definitely, please go check out Smoggy and her daddy's home. I never really thought of myself as a person who was into like slasher romance, Mm. but I saw everyone talking about it and I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and look it up because it says it's reverse harem and I'm all about a good reverse harem, Mm. Mm. but I, I cannot put that story down. It's on Kindle Vela. Mm-hmm. I don't care how many coins it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will read every episode that comes out. Um, she's an amazing writer. She's an amazing person. She keeps you on the edge of your seat. Um, she has another book. It's called Hackers um, Without Remorse. That one is like, there are like so many different characters, but she is so expansive with their personalities. Everyone is able to stand alone. Nobody fades into the background. She is a true craftsman. Um, yeah. what she does. So I'm definitely feeling smoggy. <laughs> smoggy. Okay, okay. I've been hearing about smoggy here and there. And I'm like, I'm yeah. a little scared. I'm like, I don't know if I should pick this up or not. I don't know if it's pick it up. Because <laughs> I don't I'm not really a horror or you know that type of person. So mm-hmm. but you know, a lot of people have been trying to put me onto different things. I'm I'm trying to open up my mind and stuff like that. So Smoggy, Smoggy's one of them. Anybody else? Um, let me see. What books have I been reading a lot lately? There's a woman, her name is Susan Trombley. Like she has this, I think it's called Arudian Test Subjects. Those are on Kindle Unlimited. And like each book is about, they're like, how do I explain this? These They're aliens, but they're like clones and they're test subjects. They're like, sometimes they've been taking different pieces of different aliens and putting them together Mm. and their whole thing is they're trying to make like a new species of aliens from them 
Mm-hmm. And, but they have to mate. And who are they mating with? Human females. So, (laughs) I think my favorite one so far has been the scorpions mate. And it's exactly what it sounds like. He sounds frightening, like from the way that she has like written him, but he's also so sweet and he's so caring. (laughs) And so it's like, you can't help but to like him. Mm-hmm. Maybe like let's cover your head with a paper bag, but you're good to me. So. <laughs> oh, God, not a paper bag, girl. That's bad. <laughs> but have, but haven't we all? Let me be quiet. Let me be quiet. <laughs> no, no, we all done been there. <laughs> yeah, but you like, girl, he fine. Like from the neck down, oh, he like fine. But anyway. <laughs> All right, that sounds really cool, really interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, any any other type of romance or anything that we should be getting into, particularly like it's it, I know it's spooky season, so you've given us some really good kind of spooky. spooky I mean, I know everyone like they're on they're on the contemporary romances, like they want to have like humans. So let me fall in love with another human, but I think that. I don't know. The alien the, on the TikTok street, the alien love. Yeah, yeah they're, they're co- the monster romance is coming up. Like, I still see some people like, oh, that's weird. He's mm-hmm. a snake. Oh, that's weird. He's like, whatever it is. And it's like, like <laughs> now nah, see, I, w- w- I think that was called like what Jack 2 or something like yeah, that. I, I downloaded Jack 1. Yeah, let me tell you how crazy that book is. But girl, if, if Jack 1, if Jack 2 is anything like Jack 1, I'm not ready. I am not ready. But I'm no, not gonna say I was like, all right, that was, my, that was my suggestion for reading. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely suggest to like read some like monster romance, especially like if you've never had before. Mm-hmm. They're just it's it's a whole new breed. Mm. You get like you get forked tongues, you get studded fingers. Some of them got two, and you know what? And it just <laughs> Ooh, yeah. We are reading to like immerse ourselves in a fantasy world anyway. So why not go all the way? That's true. That's true. What are we afraid of? What do you why do you think a lot of like black readers in particular don't want to like read stuff like that after a while? Because they don't want to be looked at as like as weird as like the unconventional black girl or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Because this uh, all right. Black people, we are a little bit guilty of when it comes to somebody who's like all or they just step outside the lines of like, this is what we do. Uh-huh. We be side eyeing them. We be like, that's white people stuff. Don't do that. <laughs> right. Right, 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 right. But it's like, come on now. We can't let other people have like all, all the fun. And that is like. We're also writing in every single genre in every yes. single way. Yeah. Yes, that's the other thing. Like five years ago, I wasn't able to find like monster romances or even like really good contemporary romances with black faces on the cover describing like plus size girls, dark skin. And now like this is that's all that's like 90 percent of my reading list. Mm. I didn't have a choice before. Now, oh, if, if she not black, I'm, I'm usually not too with it. Right. <laughs> Right, 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 right. That's what's up. Yeah, yeah. And so what do you want 
what do you feel like uh, uh, before we go on do you have any more like book recommendations or anything like that or those are the kind of the ones that are kind of sticking out for you those are the ones i mean besides my own <laughs> yeah, let's talk about your own let's talk, let's, <laughs> any more of your own works that you want to pub that that people would like to you know get into yes if you want to read like about uh, i mean monster romances with a little bit of like entities and stuff like that my newest one is he calls himself velis uh this one is this is one of my babies this is a book that like i it took me four years <laughs> wow. to write this book and to get this one out so mm-hmm. definitely it's in paperback it's on kindle unlimited pick mm-hmm. it up um if you're in for maybe you know you want to get into like a little bit of japanese folklore mythology i have kitsune's mm-hmm. kiss that mm-hmm. one's a uh, that was more of a novella. It's less than 300 pages, but it's definitely going to take you for a ride in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Um, they have two books. So that one's a series. That was called Three's a Crowd. If you like witches, if you like gargoyles, mm-hmm. you want to get into like demons and dragons and all that. Three's mm-hmm. a Crowd. That one is definitely for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. You got something for everybody. Like all everybody's kind of paranormal and and um taste out there i think you you've dealt you're dealing with the witches you're dealing with the aliens you got you got a little <laughs> bit of everything a little bit of everything so uh, i know you talked about kind of being on book talk and finding the mm-hmm. bookish community and stuff like that um tell us what how what it's meant to you really to like sort of engage with other authors and particularly other authors who are writing kind of the same stuff mm-hmm. that you're writing like how important has it been to be on book talk and, and kind of engage in that way I think it's it's a prime opportunity to like first of all know that you're not the only one that's like thinking of <laughs> like whatever idea it is that you have in your head there's nothing too wild <laughs> okay yeah. no there, there are some things but <laughs> uh, yeah yeah <laughs> for the most part there's like nothing too wild that like you can think of that the book talk community isn't going to be like nah because i was wondering that too <laughs> yeah. and they might be behind you with but like finding a, a community of like other authors it has definitely been i mean for me at least like a good experience i've like you know made some close acquaintances that i'm able to bounce ideas off of Mm -hmm. or even to be like this is something that like i want to do and this is an idea like what do you think about it or like is this something that we could collaborate on Mm. um, and maybe get out that way that's definitely what i'm trying to do for halloween next year have a Mm -hmm. nice horror anthology wonderful um, lab with mm-hmm. some other authors but mm-hmm. I definitely think like it, it does take time to get out there because I've seen some people who haven't been on there like as long or who have been on book talk longer than I have and you know they don't really get a lot of engagement or you know but they're still making content they're still putting themselves out there and it's like if you feel that that's you just Keep on doing what you're doing. Yeah. You're going to hit that mark. You're going to get that one TikTok that all of a sudden people are going to be like, no, let's pay attention um, Mm -hmm. to what they're doing. Yep. Yep. And it might not even be something bookish related because I know for me, a TikTok, Mm -hmm. they blew up a mind and people were like, you know, calling me to my top. Is that you? Todd, is that you? It wasn't even book related. I was like, why do y'all even, like, what? (laughs) Somebody even, and it was being reposted by like the shade room. And other places like that. I'm like, um, mm-hmm. this 
ain't got nothing to do with my book. But if you do come <laughs> across me, I'm a writer, by the way. And this is what, you know, yeah, I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? So maybe that one-off thing that may not necessarily be bookish content that actually brings people to your bookish content. <laughs> no, that, that was me too. I had like one book-related one and people were like, yeah, yeah, we like it. And then a guy, he like participated in the Highland Games. He was just big and beefy. And I duetted his video <laughs> mm-hmm. being real thirsty. And that's what got everybody to my face. <laughs> and I was like, good. Now that you're here. <laughs> know. We got to thank that beefy Highland guy then for driving people to your page. <laughs> so we're going to play a really quite quick game of like this or that. So we're going to talk okay. about things you like and things you don't like. Yeah. So in the spirit of Halloween, mm-hmm. I'm going to do like a little Halloween, this or that. It's okay. Spooky season since you are a, a paranormal author. Yes. So, okay. Witches or warlocks? Witches. <laughs> okay. Okay. I don't know if you've seen this, but I'm mm-hmm. going to ask everybody. Okay. 1994 interview with a vampire or 2022 interview with a vampire? Oh, you can't do that. Yes, I can. <laughs> I'm not allowed to say both. <laughs> yeah, sure. I guess. <laughs> I mean, 2022 for the representation, but 1994 holds. It's, it's, it's got a soft spot for it. <laughs> yeah, Brad Pitt with that long hair, I just do something yes. to you. You know, it just does something to you. Just, so, Tom Cruise is a horrible actor. That's his best horrible. role. Ever, yes, that's his really best is. role he ever mm-hmm, did. Mm-hmm. I got to agree with you there. Yeah. yeah maybe that <laughs> and Jerry Maguire. Um, uh, let's see. What was the other thing I wrote? Ask pumpkin spice mm-hmm. or apple cider? Apple cider. Okay. See, you're, you're my girl if you drink apple cider because I'm not a pumpkin <laughs> spice person. Um trick-or-treating mm-hmm. or just stay at home and eat all the candy trick-or-treating i love <laughs> going out looking at other people's costumes that and what, i what was your favorite costume growing up as a kid <sighs> probably tinkerbell <laughs> tinkerbell that's so tinkerbell. far from what you like now <laughs> It ain't that <laughs> so far from what you like now. I thought you would say, oh, I was Elvira or Wednesday Adams or something. Mm-hmm. No, I was Tinkerbell. I was Tinkerbell. <laughs> <laughs> Who is one of, if somebody wanted to get into, say, Black paranormal writers, okay. who are some of your faves out there that you're like, okay, if you want to get into it, here's somebody you should start with, besides your own stuff, obviously. Black paranormal writers. I mean, not well. I'm not really gonna say like, uh, not she's not science fiction. Octavia Butler. Mm. So I mean, like not paranormal, but or I mean, some people might consider her, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay, we'll do that. Um, Regine Abel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let me see. Do you read Tanana Reeve Do? No. And now I'm going to Google. <laughs> you have never, oh, come on, man. Classic. My soul to keep Joplin's ghost. Oh my God. Those are some of my favorites. 
Mm, okay. I feel like every black person who's into horror or into paranormal should read Tanana Reeve do. Okay. She she has really paved the way in that genre. All right. Y'all, y'all gotta read her. Put y'all on game. Read read I Tanana was... Reeve do. Well, look, here, I'm gonna go to Amazon as soon as we get done. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. She's she is freaking amazing. Um, let's see, what else was I gonna ask? Um in fall, do you like wearing boots or scarves? Man, this is Texas. <laughs> it's, it's hot. Never mind. Neither or to cowboy boots. You can wear cowboy boots. Yeah, I was gonna say boots. I have not had no well until that freeze, but until then. <laughs> oh, I remember that. That was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was one of your favorite books as a kid? Oh man. Uh one of my favorite books as a kid. My grandfather religiously read every Beatrix Potter book to me. Um, wow. The Tale of Peter Rabbit, mm. The Pie in the Patty Pan, Jemima Puddle Duck. <laughs> oh. Oh. So I would definitely those, those books. But other than that, I would say my favorite book from childhood. I can't remember when this book was published. I think I was maybe like 12, 13 when I first read this book. There's a book, but what is it? I can't remember the author's name, but it's called The Memoirs of Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. I re- I read that book once a year because it's just that good to me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's a far cry from what I write because that's historical fiction. Mm-hmm. But the way the author pulls you into that, like, into that ancient world and makes you think that these are actually her words on the page mm-hmm. is just that's phenomenal to me. I don't know if I could ever do that, mm-hmm. but I mean it would be cool. But that book, that book has a hold on me. Mm. And what is the last romance novel that you read? Since we, this is a romance podcast, the last romance novel that I read not not me sitting up here trying to pull out the Kindle. the last romance novel i read was uh, hold on where's that come on now boop 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 (laughs) hold on now because i'm gonna get you (laughs) what is this book called there it is it is called storm by Hattie Jacks. Storm by Hattie Jacks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He's like a bird alien. See, it always goes back to aliens. <laughs> speaking of speaking of aliens and books, what is your favorite like paranormal romance movie? Is is there one that you think has, has been made? A paranormal romance movie. Casper. No, not just <laughs> Let me stop. <laughs> I don't. I've. Oh shoot! Paranormal romance. Oh, the invitation. Oh, did you enjoy that? I've, I'm hearing mixed. I I loved the invitation. It was so good to me. Okay. Okay. Um, and finally, mm-hmm. what is um the best 
like what kind of music do you write to if you if you write to music oh i do it is a mix of old school r&b and k-pop okay <laughs> like, but more like but more like r&b style so it's like i listen to like jackson way or dpr live and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden we just got like um keisha cole and usher in there <laughs> right 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 cool um so thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and talking about what book talk is reading and talking about your own works yeah. um where can we find you on social media and where can people um purchase your book yeah so you can purchase my books on amazon there are a few that are on barnes and noble as well um but amazon is definitely where you're going to find me kindle unlimited there are paperbacks available as well and as far as finding me i am on instagram i am on instagram under um author tiara cox facebook under the same name and on tiktok as tia the xenomorph Tina the Xenomorph the Xenomorph who, yeah. who collects all these you know alien type figurines. Um, <laughs> I even know got the TikTok about it. If you scroll down there, you will see the TikTok about it. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm gonna have to go back and look. All right, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been so much fun talking to you about all kind of spooky things and 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 aliens and all that good stuff. <laughs> thank you for having me. I want to thank our guest, uh, therapist Emily Rumble and author Tiara Cox for coming on to the podcast. Once again, I am your host, Tati Richardson, one half of the duo here at Romance and Color. And we're still sending our well wishes and thoughts and prayers to my co-host Shakini as she recovers. And we hope that she gets well soon. In the meantime, you can follow us on social media at Romance in Color. That's in color with a U, color with a U, on Instagram, all one word. And on Twitter, it's Romance, the letter N, and color with a U. Again, I will see you all next week. Take care. God bless. And enjoy some of this fall weather now. Get out there. <laughs>